So we are continuing our series uh, called I Want to Know What Love Is. And over the past few weeks, we've been walking step by step through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a beautiful picture of what love looks like. Let me remind you that when Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth, they were a messed up church. They did not really know what love was that well. And they needed to hear this. Whether we are a messed up church or not, we also need to grow in what it means to know what love is and to love one another and to love people outside of these, these walls. So let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today in this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, uh, cause us to see that love really is the greatest virtue, uh, the most important thing for us as human beings, that we love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we love our neighbor as ourselves, and teach us what love is, and not just teach, but by your Spirit, enable us to love the way that you have loved us. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be honored and glorified in what we say and do and think. Show us your glory in the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Walt Whitman. I don't know if you know that name. Walt Whitman. Yeah, there he is. He is considered one of the most influential poets in American history. 
he's also considered, at least by some, to be, and this is a quote, a conceited man who overly inflates his self-worth. That's what one author says of Mr. Whitman in his article entitled, The Conceited Nature of Whitman's Writings. And he's not the only one saying that Whitman has that kind of ego. Whitman, one of Whitman's biographers, L. Edmund Leopold, called him, quote, an egoist without parallel. Robert Fredrickson called Whitman America's premier narcissist. And Richard W. Bray states, I love this quote, Walt Whitman is an overblown, narcissistic, self-worshipping buffoon. Now you may wonder, why all the Whitman hate there? Why are they throwing so much shade at this man? Well, it may be because of this 52 stanza poem that spans over almost 60 pages called Song of Myself. And I'm not going to read that to you, but I do want to do just a couple of highlights from this. Song of Myself, the, it starts off with these words, and, and I, I apologize that the writing is so small, but I was trying to get it all in one thing. I celebrate myself and sing myself. A little further on, he says, Divine am I, inside and out, and I make holy whatever I touch, or am touched from. This one's funny. The scent of these armpits, aroma finer than prayer. Somehow I doubt that. This head more than churches, Bibles, and all the creeds. And then, near the end, he says, I exist as I am. That is enough. Now, we may scoff at that. We may shake our heads. We may say, oh, I can't believe he is so into himself but we can't ignore that we live in a society that loves to sing the song of myself. We basically worship self. Think about it. We live in a society in which self-acceptance, self-actualization, self-expression, and self-fulfillment and self-gratification are some of our highest values, right? We tout self-worth, self-image, self-confidence, and self-esteem as some of the most important attributes that a person can have. Self-reliance, self-assertion, and being self-sufficient are regarded as qualities of great worth. There's big money, as I mentioned last week, to be made in self-help books and self-improvement. Our celebrities that we celebrate are often self-conceited and self-indulgent, are they not? 
And then online, we have self-styled, self-appointed, self-proclaimed experts who are self-determined to reach self-advancement. That's a lot of self. No wonder America is seen by those outside of our society as a self-centered, self-seeking, self-consumed, and self-important nation. In fact, I saw almost those very words written on a post on a blog, and an American apparently responded in a comment and said, well, of course, because we're awesome. For Presbyterians, and, and those of you who, who aren't into the Presbyterian thing, I apologize for this, but for, for Presbyterians, we have this thing called the Catechism. And the very first question of the Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And every good Presbyterian worth his salt knows that the answer to that is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is our main purpose for being, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But Thaddeus Williams, in an article entitled Self-Worship is the World's Fastest-Growing Religion, says that in our day, the Westminster Catechism answer has been inverted. He says that the way we would answer it as a culture is the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. And that's not Thaddeus's view. He's just saying this is what our culture is like. This is what our society is like. It's all about me. And into that kind of society, into that kind of culture, the Holy Spirit is speaking today and is telling us that we need to love. And as we love, we need to recognize that love is not self-centered. Love is not self-centered. We see that very clearly in this passage, verses 4 and 5. We've already seen that love is patient. Love is kind. Those are not self-centered kinds of attributes. Love does not envy or boast. Again, not self-centered. It is not arrogant or rude. And then there's this phrase that the ESV translates, it does not insist on its own way. Now that's one way to translate this verse, this passage, this phrase. It, It is a tricky kind of passage because it could be translated various ways. Let's take a look at how different uh, translations try to uh, translate this. So the ESV obviously says it does not insist on its own way. The NIV says it is not self-seeking. The NASB, that's the New American Standard Bible, says it does not seek its own. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says it is not selfish. The New English translation says it is not self-serving. And if we were going to be painfully literal and have a painfully literal translation, it would look something like this, not seeks the of itself, which doesn't make a lot of sense in English. Not seeks the of itself. Now, what all of those have in common 
is self-centeredness. It's all about self, right? So no matter how we train... Put your own air mask on first, and then do the child's. Why? Because if you're trying to put the air mask on the child, you may pass out. And then you may not put it on the child right, and that child may pass out, and then both of you are in bad shape. So there is such a thing as legitimate self-interest. But we always have to ask the question, is my legitimate, is this self-interest legitimate or not? Is it selfish or self-centered or not? And one great way of asking it is, am I doing this simply for myself or am I doing this so that myself will be ready to serve and care for other people? That in and of itself is a really great indicator of where we are. We're going to return to this in a few minutes, but for now, let's just recognize that love is not self-centered. You know what is self-centered? Sin. Sin is self-centered. You want to know what self-centeredness is? It, look at sin. Sin is what is self-centered, not love. Sin is. I love uh, Martin Luther's, in his book, the lectures on Romans, he has this quote. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to explain it a little bit. Our nature, Luther writes, is so curved in upon itself at its deepest levels that it not only bends the best gifts of God toward itself and enjoys them, as the moralists and hypocrites make evident, nay, rather uses God in order to obtain them. But it does not even know that in this wicked, twisted, crooked way, it seeks everything, including God, only for itself. In other words, love is meant to be outward. Sin causes us to curve inward on ourselves. 
so that even when we're doing good things, even when we're doing the right thing, we're doing it for ourselves. Not to glorify God, not because we love people, but because this is good for me, period. That's what sin does to us. And and there's nothing wrong with focusing on yourself if you're self-examining yourself or if you need self-awareness. But when we focus too much on ourselves, we can be assured sin is at work in us. And because of our culture where there's so much self, my argument would be nine times out of ten, we're probably more selfish and self-centered than we imagine. No, love is not self-centered. Sin is self-centered. What love desires is not self-centeredness, not what's best for me. Love desires what is best for the one loved. That's what love, scripturally speaking, is. It is what is best for the one loved. I want what's best for you. That's what love really looks like. You know, part of the problem that we have with the word love in our society is that we use it in so many different ways, right? Uh, We can say, I love steak. And what we mean by that is, I enjoy eating steak. We could say, I love Billy Graham. And what we might mean by that is, I really admire the man, Billy Graham. We may say, I love my friend. And what we're meaning is we have a mutual agreement that we're friends and we do stuff for each other. We use the word love like, well, I love my girlfriend or I love my boyfriend, whatever it might be for you. And what we mean by that is we have romantic feelings. In all of those and many other ways, we use the word love. But when the scriptures in this passage is describing love, it goes beyond enjoyment. It goes beyond admiration. It goes beyond friendship. It goes beyond romantic feelings. The love that God shows us in Christ and calls us to give to other people is a love that desires what is best for other people even at times if it costs us something. In fact, I'd go so far to say, if you really love someone in this life, it will cost you something. Something. There is no love in this life without a price. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, and yes, this really is a C.S. Lewis quote, says, divine gift love, the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about, love himself, working in a man, desires what is simply best for the beloved. And we just need to recognize that. This is what love is 
when God calls us to love, it is a love that is desiring what is best for other people. So often, we use the word love about what we get out of it. In fact, I would argue that most of us, when we first get married, this is going to be a little bit painful, when we first get married, we're probably not thinking, I want to spend the rest of my life serving this person, caring for this person, doing everything I can to do what's best for this person. That is probably not what we're thinking. Most likely, we're thinking, man, it's going to be awesome that this person is going to serve me and care for me and look out for me all the rest of my life. Isn't that so cool? I love this person. Right? So we recognize that we are in a self-centered culture and we have sin working in us that causes us to be self-centered. And love is not self-centered, so what do we do? Well, the first thing we have to do, the very first thing after recognizing that we've got a problem is to recognize where the solution comes from. And the solution comes from Jesus, right? And Jesus demonstrates his love for us by not seeking. Listen to this. By not seeking to please himself, but to serve us generously and sacrificially. That's how Jesus demonstrates his love for his bride. He doesn't seek to please himself, but to serve generously and sacrificially. In Romans chapter 15, Paul writes this, and this is powerful in my mind. He says, we who are strong in the faith have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak in the faith and not to please ourselves. Did you see that? Okay, so if you think you're a strong Christian, guess what? It means you're not supposed to please yourself. That's what being strong means. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, and he grounds that in this one sentence, for Christ did not please himself. That's the love that Jesus shows us. It wasn't a, you know what, this is going to please me so much to do this for this group of people. No, he's like, I love them, this is going to cost me something. And it cost him his life. It cost him some dignity in the eyes of people who saw him crucified. It cost him significantly, but he did not seek to please himself. Instead, he loved us with a kind of love that is for our good. He wanted what was best for us to build us up, to make us what we could be in Christ. That's the love that Jesus shows us. And, and not only that, but he serves us. Think about this. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says of himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that we sang about today, that Jesus, the Lord of all, serves sinners like me, like you. And he served us by laying down his life. I don't know about you, but when I really start thinking about that, it's overwhelming. Imagine the most important person you can think of leaving their position and taking on cancer for you so that you wouldn't have to. Think about the most important person in your life saying, you know what, I know that you're going to die today. I'm going to take your place. Think about the very worst sin, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that bothers you the most, the thing that you wonder, could anyone ever forgive me for that? Could anyone ever love me after I did this? And know that Jesus served you by going to the cross and taking that sin upon himself so that he received the judgment and you got off free. That, my friends, is some powerful love. And it's the love that Jesus has for us. And this is why Paul says in Philippians 2, which we read part of today, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Because we're to have this mindset, have this attitude among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, listen to this phrase, emptied himself. He didn't try to build himself up. He didn't try to make himself bigger than he was. He didn't try to say, it's all about me. He laid down his life. He humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and then being born in the likeness of men and found in human form. He humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the love that Jesus has for us. Isn't it amazing? Is there anyone else that would love you that way? I dare say there's not another human being who would love me that way. I mean, my mom, she loves me. She will do all kinds of things for me. In fact, I have to watch what I say around her because if I say something like, you know, I really would like to have some cheese biscuits, she will leave the house, go pick up some cheese, and then make the biscuits right then and there for me because she wants to love me. She wants to do what is good for me. Well, 
probably not what's good for me because those cheese biscuits are not good <laughs> for me. They are good, but not good for me. She still uses the lard that you get out of the basket, so I know, right? Oh, <laughs> so delicious there. But I don't know if she would go through all this for me. And that's not a slam on my mom. That's just human nature is we want what's best for me. Even when we want what's best for someone else, we still want what's best for me. But yet, Jesus, who took on human nature, he was willing to lay down his life to be humbled, to be mocked, to be beaten, and take on the wrath of God against sin for me, for you, for people all over the world. That's the love of our Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen to that. And folks, because we have been loved this way, we can grow in loving others by the work of the Spirit. We can. It, it, it isn't just a, isn't it great that Jesus loves us this way and then we just go along our merry way? No, the grace of God leads us outside of ourselves. It keeps us from curving in on ourselves so much and we start to blossom and bloom like a flower, reaching up to God and reaching out to others. That is what the grace of God does for us in Christ. We grow in loving others by the work of the Spirit because we have been loved this way. As John says it in 1 John 4, 19, we love because He first loved us. We don't pull ourselves up by our love bootstraps and love people well like this without somebody loving us first. And that somebody is Jesus. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, we read, Therefore, be imitators of God. Imitate the way God has loved you as beloved children. He's called you His children. He didn't just forgive you, He called you into His family. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, because you have been loved by God the Father like children, because Jesus laid down his life for you, we can grow in laying down our lives for one another. And if you say, Stuart, I hear you, but it ain't happening. I don't see me growing in love. Maybe it's because you're just focusing on the intellectual part and you're not recognizing you need the Holy Spirit to do this in you. I know we're Presbyterians. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit that much, but we need to. The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I need to go back up to heaven so that I can send the Spirit so that you will do greater things than what I've done when I'm here on earth. Now, part of that greater things is for sinners like us to love other sinners. That's powerful. It, it's powerful to know that Jesus, who was sinless, loved sinners. It's even more powerful to know that a, one sinner can actually love another sinner this way. And that only comes from the Holy Spirit. As uh, Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So you want to grow in love? 
Holy Spirit, help me grow in love. And that leads us really to our action points for today. Uh, Ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit, number one, to reveal how you are selfish and self-centered. Now, some of you are like, I don't need that. Thank you very much. I already know. But again, this is the air we breathe. This is the water we're swimming in in this society. The the self-centeredness. In his book, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges writes, and this is a quote that I think we need to think about. Selfishness is a difficult sin to expose because It is so easy to see in someone else, but so difficult to recognize in ourselves. In addition, there are degrees of selfishness as well as degrees of subtlety in expressing it. One person's selfishness may be crass and obvious. Such a person usually doesn't care what others think about him. Most of us, however, do care about what others think, so our selfishness, listen, so our selfishness will likely be more delicate and refined. Delicate and refined selfishness. Let me, um, you know, lest you think I am preaching to you and not preaching to myself, let me show you a place where the Holy Spirit has shown me my own self-centeredness. So, What is one thing that you know for sure is the right thing to do? Prayer, right? Nobody's going to, no Christian is going to argue, well, you shouldn't pray. Everyone says prayer is the right thing. So, I'm in my house, and it's early morning, and I sit down on the couch to pray. Doing the right thing. And my wife comes in the room, and she says, Hey, honey, can you do this for me today? I really need um, you to go by the store and pick these things up. And I have to admit, I'm just a little irritated that she's, you know, interrupting my prayer time. But, you know, I I hide it. It's refined. And so, you know, I go, okay, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Settle in to pray some more. And then a child comes in and says, Dad, 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 I need your help. Okay, I'm a little bit more irritated now. And I say, <clears throat> yeah, what is it? And you hear the tone? Yeah, what is it? And then they say, oh, I need help on my homework. <sighs> okay, well, I'm really trying to pray right now. So uh, can we do this later? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Settle in to pray. Deep breaths to get rid of the irritability. And then another child comes in. (laughs) Says, Dad! 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 Like, what? I really want to show you this video on TikTok. It is so funny. And I can't contain myself. Right? Why? Not because God has been wronged, but because 
someone, several people, interrupted my prayer time. This is my time. Don't mess with my time. Do you hear me? You hear what I'm saying? Even the best things that we can do can be tainted by self-centeredness. Lord, forgive me for how I can take your best gifts and make it all about me. So, we need to be aware that we can be selfish even in the best of times, and that means asking the Spirit to reveal the ways in which we are selfish and self-centered. And, and he'll answer, just like he did for me on that day where all that happened. But second, we, not need, we don't only need to uh, know that the Spirit is showing us how we are selfish or self-centered. We also need the Spirit to produce in us selfless love for others. As we ask the Spirit to show us our selfishness, on the flip side of that coin, we need to say, Holy Spirit, please, in the name of Jesus, produce your fruit in me. Cause me to grow in selfless love. Cause me to be more like Jesus. Jesus has loved me so well, I want to love others the way He's loved me. As uh, Joshua Danis says in his book, Living the Fruit of the Spirit, how God's grace can transform your world Without the Spirit, the best we might attain is an aptitude for pretending to possess a particular fruit. Yet even this approach will fail us in time. Cracks will start to show under the strain of our effort. No, the fruit of love is not so much a good thing that we do, but rather a good thing that God does within us. It is the supernatural consequence of prayer and intimacy with Him. You want to grow in love? You can't be self-centered about how you're going to get there. You've got to recognize, I need to abide in Christ. I need someone outside of me that can develop this love in me. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. So let's continue to experience the selfless love of Christ so that we will grow in loving others well. And I'm going to pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Jesus, will you cause every person in this room and every person who's listening to this sermon to experience your selfless love. For those of us who have already experienced it, we know it, but we forget it, or we leak your love. Fill us up again. Cause us to be reminded of your great love for us and that it will blossom and bloom in us so that we will get outside of ourselves and we'll look to someone else besides ourselves. And Holy Spirit, will you produce in us self-abasing, selfless love for others? We can't do it on our own. Jesus, we need you. We need to abide in you and you in us, and then we will bear much fruit. 
produce this in us so that we will bring glory to you, we'll be good to other people, not just in this room, but even throughout our community. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.